You're listening to Marcus Sahaba Online Radio Podcast. Uh, we have uh, uh, none other than our very own Ibrahim Badacha. I call him my papa. And as you to a businessman, and alhamdulillah, someone that resonates a very positive on this uh, uh, platform. And his own segment, people, is the Travel Express. Ibrahim Ba, and the, uh, how are you doing this fine, beautiful evening? And let me welcome you with a hearty. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Walaikum salam warahmatullahi wabarakatuh, brother Shafat. Uh, always a pleasure talking to you, and of course, being in touch with our listeners to Radio Markas Sahaba out there this evening. Alhamdulillah, I am well by Allah's kudrat, and uh, pleased to be with you as always. Ah, uh, the feeling is uh, reciprocal, Ibrahim. And you know, looking at the load shedding, some stages that it can stage eight and so forth. But uh, with the high humidity level, it must yeah. be you know, it's quite. Uh, some people are addicted to the aircon or the fans and so forth or the air coolers. Uh, how are they managing, Ibrahim? It's tough. I'm telling you now because uh, earlier we were sitting with load shedding itself, and uh, it wasn't very pleasant. And the thing is, uh, having having been born and bred and living here for the past seven decades, uh, I believe that uh, you know it has never been this muggy before. You know, it's that combination of the the temperature, the heat itself. And of course, the fact that uh, the humidity is so uh, high, and I think uh, that uh, together makes it uh, literally unbearable. And I feel for those that are ill. Ah, it seems uh, as if uh, Ibrahim Bar has. Uh, I hope it's not load shedding that got him out uh, yeah. from us. Oh, you there, Ibrahim Bar? Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, I'm yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, what is one Yeah, I'm saying it. Whilst you might be, uh, you know, addicted to the aircon, I think it has become a necessity these days, uh, uh, and I think that is why we feel it even more so when uh, load shedding kicks in and we don't have the power supply going to the unit. Yeah, which is a, a very sad uh, issue indeed. Well, I noticed that the uh, mayor of Durban, you know, uh, was an, on holiday in Cape Town rather mm. in Durban, and he mm. was the one that took a dip into the uh, Indian Ocean with all the sewage and all that. He did it for show and tell. Uh, what was it? What was in his mind? Now will he have to answer to, uh, you know, everyone in the uh, Etiquini? And what will happen, Ibrahim Ba? Uh, nothing much will happen. The same old, same old. He'll tell you that he went on a fact-finding mission to see what they're doing right that we can uh, sort of, uh, you know, try out over here. Yeah, it's just a publicity stunt, you know. He just goes and dips into the water and comes out again and says, yeah, the beaches are safe. The thing is, the empirical data, that is more important than anything else. If you see the people that do the actual water... Yeah, Ibrahim, as you said, those that do the water check, and it seems as if, uh, yeah, we're getting... uh... The things worrying us on the show here, Ibrahim Ba. I uh, hope it's not the low shedding the the towers. I wonder why all this is happening. Yeah, I hope so. We're not having load shedding, people. Load shedding is a big cause. But in the meantime, uh, we'll try and get Ibrahim Ba on uh, line. And if he comes through, Ibrahim Ba, as soon as you come through, let me know. Because uh, we noticed that many things have, have been happening Hello? on... Yes, Ibrahim Ba, are you there? Ba- I lost you. I lost you for a yeah, bit there. You're, you're coming in and going out. I don't know if it's a load shedding. I think we're all over. The people are having this problem. Yeah. 
But, because but uh, the... currently we've got power. We've got power currently. Oh. There's no interruption. All but right. uh, it could be just anything that's fiddling with the airwaves too, you know. Yeah, possible. Uh, yeah, uh, Ibrahim, I think uh, let's move on and get to our topic. King Shaka uh, sure. International Airport ranks fifth in uh, when it comes to uh, punctuality. I can't believe it, but uh, talk to us. How, how did uh, it, it manage that? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. I think uh, we've got to look at it in, in the context that it is, right? And uh, basically... What they are saying, what the head of AXA is saying is that he's very proud to announce that uh, both King Shaka and uh, Cape Town International, which we are accustomed to, of course, came out tops when ranked on punctuality. And this was recognized by the uh, company called the Official Airline Guide. It's been out for ages, this company, even before the advent of computers into the industry. And... Uh, that was featured in the 2023 uh, League uh, Punctuality League report, right? And uh, the OAG, its uh, records indicate that, uh, you know, uh, the, in a sample of flights taken from 1st January to 31st December 2022, right, uh, King Shaka Airport took fifth place of all, uh, you know, around the globe with an on-time performance, which is, I'll say, short is OTP, of uh, almost 90%, 89.73 in the category of top 20 airports worldwide, get that. And uh, Cape Town also featured, and it was ranked 16th in the top 20 with an OTP of uh, 87.02. So uh, well done to both uh, King Shaka and of course uh, Cape Town International. But I would think uh, they could have swung that or could have achieved it here, uh, given the uh, the number of flights that actually come in and leave. I mean, it cannot be as many as, uh, say, uh, Johannesburg or other main hubs around the globe. So uh, whatever led to that, whether it was good hard work on the ground and uh, systems that uh, are put in place, hats off to them for doing it. At least uh, something good is coming to South Africa, you know, I mean, especially KZN. And uh, we were also the uh, highest, when I say we, I'm uh, talking about uh, King Shaka, right? Uh, highest across the Middle East and Africa region, right? Which they call the uh, MENA region, mostly in the Middle East, North Africa, but uh, throughout Africa, we are still right up there on top. And uh, we are sitting in that uh, zone. We are sitting in the top 10 airports by region. And uh, of course, uh, Cape Town came in in second place uh, in this uh, category with uh, uh, on-time performance down a few percentages. But, uh, you know, Shafat, uh, when anyone travels or travels quite frequently, on-time performance is critical. And uh, it all depends, A, whether you are leaving for any particular meeting or you want to have to have a connecting flight that's uh, literally tight, you know, insofar as uh, checking through the airports and transiting and things like that. So uh, it's a remarkable achievement by any standards. And uh, I hope that this uh, good showing will spur them on to even greater heights. Yeah, Ibrahim, but, uh, who does the employment at the airport? Is it AXA or is it, uh, you know, the government? Uh, uh, how, how is employment done at the airport, Ibrahim? But? I think it's, I think they have human resources as one of the uh, key departments here at AXA because it's, uh, AXA runs all our airports. And uh, uh, I would I believe that they do it themselves. But if it's left to government, then Allah only knows what will happen. Huh? And if you're looking at AXA, uh, 
if I'm not mistaken, it's predominantly Indian run. Well, some of it is. I guess the more technical aspects, they'll, they'll have people up front for cosmetic uh, reasons and things like that. But uh, yeah, look, at the end of the day, uh, Brother Shafat, uh, that, that question of uh, pragmatism, meritocracy and things all come into play again. You need the right kind of buy, guy with the right kind of skills that is uh, suited to the job. If you have that there and you, you have a good management in place with the right kind of system that are, you know, state of the art or up to date as far as possible, then ultimately, if you're doing what's right, then, then the results will show for themselves. And this is what's happening. Well, you know, uh, I wonder, under, under Mandela, everything was still, you know, ship shaped. The country was still running smoothly because he was a great believer, uh, I, I, uh, I think, uh, in the right man for the right job. And then with Mbeki, uh, to some extent, he had the same uh, philosophy. Uh, but when Zuma started getting into his uh, uh, term, uh, then everything, uh, you know, uh, changed, uh, Ibrahim. Huh? Yeah, well, with the euphoria of the change in, in, in the regime and all in, the, in 1994 and things like that, yeah, uh, South Africa was still riding on that wave. And of course, one must recall and uh, call to mind the fact that there were still there are the same people that, that uh, worked in those positions the day or the year before the change of government. So that is why it was still running relatively smoothly. And of course, it went down a little bit more as more and more of this black empowerment, BEE and all those other, uh, you know, programs enacted. And of course, uh, when it came to Zuma's two terms, that was the pits. And uh, sadly, even with Cyrano, and he's doing nothing much with uh, uh, complimenting insofar as turning the ship around. We are headed for the rocks, make no mistake. It's a question of a whether we are seriously concerned of a either halting that or changing direction rather quickly. But uh, again, what you say is true. And uh, it's a question of that cadre deployment thing, you know, where the crooks in high places, uh, they will appoint people that are absolutely and totally uh, unfit for the job to the extent of being literally useless because they are put there specifically a to get rid of all the good guys who can point fingers at all the crookery and thievery that's going on. And on the contrary, uh, provide protection for all the crooks at the top. So that is what we've got over here. Make no mistake about that. I'm not the only one that feels that way. There are lots and lots of uh, people out there and professionals, uh, authors and all that, that, that feel the same way because this is all it is. At the end of the day, you can perpetrate the biggest crime on earth and, and get away with it. Nobody's going to jail the way I see it. So uh, if you keep persisting with this kind of uh, system, then the end is nigh. Make no mistake. It's a question of time. We are going to hit the wall soon, but uh, just how soon? That uh, remains on all the contributory factors, one of which is, of course, load shedding. Yeah, absolutely. A load shedding, a nightmare for everyone, uh, literally. Uh, when you look at the uh, news of Durban's Golden Mile, it's been named as one of the best places to run and cycle. I mean, sewage and all. But it's still one of one of the best places to run and cycle. Talk to me, Brian Ba. <laughs> uh, yeah, Allah. No, brother Shafat. Uh, look, make no mistake. I mean, what we've got almost, if you look at it, uh, looking at it from uh, Blue Lagoon all the way through to uh, through the uh, point waterfront, uh, 
that's an 8.5 kilometer stretch and a beautiful stretch, I might add, that's uh, relatively clean most times, unless there's a drunken orgy or something going on for some crazy festival of sorts. But uh, beyond that, it goes all the way, uh, you know, over the uh, bridge on the Amgeni River uh, and across and going all the way back uh, along the river to the northern bank. So it is, it is one of the nicer uh, spots to run or cycle. I mean, I, I walk there quite frequently, eh, not just for the exercise, but also to see eh, if the place has been cleaned properly or if it's just going to hell and back. So uh, yeah, this is the, a sports company, online sports company that did this research and it's based uh, very much on search engine reviews. And of course the Golden Mile came out tops. Uh, and uh, although beaches were snubbed somewhat last year, when it came to blue flag status or anything that uh, resembles normalcy in so far as the E. coli uh, count went, it's great to know that Durban is winning at something at least. And uh, the study analyzed uh, reviews for over 760 cycle routes, running paths, and of course popular swimming locations across different countries. So this is not just in South Africa, this is uh, an international survey that was run. And so much so they checked out uh, those attractions which have left uh, visitors uh, satisfied or content enough to write uh, good reviews on. And uh, the results were then ranked in order to name the best places to run, swim, cycle in each country and uh, which countries take the crown for each activity. So when it comes to beaches, of course, you've got Cape uh, Camp Bay in Cape Town, followed by Um Schlanga. So Durban is not as bad as one would think. So uh, locally, those are two uh, best beaches that were cited. Now, just to give you a, a top to bottom, one to five order, the best places to run in South Africa, uh, Golden Mile, of course. Secondly, would you believe the Durban Botanic Gardens, then followed by Pretoria Botanic Gardens, Johannesburg Botanic Garden, and uh, Hermanus Cliff Path. Uh, moving on, the best places to swim in South Africa, as I mentioned earlier, Camps Bay in Cape Town, Umschlange in Durban, uh, Silvermine Nature Reserve in Cape Town, and the Grotto Beach in Hermanus, followed by Buffalo Bay, that's in Neisner. And of course, the best places to cycle, there Durban comes up top again. And there's uh, Giba Gorge uh, Mountain Bike Park, in Pinetown and Holler Trails in Belito, followed by Chapman's Peak Drive in Cape Town, and again Johannesburg Botanical Garden. So uh, that's the order in which they finished. And uh, I dare say, if one has any uh, experience of having visited these places, uh, I think they're quite phenomenal in their own right. Well, you talk about the uh, botanic uh, gardens there, or the botanical gardens. I thought it was a very uh, dangerous place to go through. I mean, uh, is it gone safe now, Ibramba? Well, I'd say it's relatively safe. There's no guarantees anymore. You know that, Brother Shafat. I think they have some sort of security at the entrance where the guys come and park the car, but that's not the only. There are the pedestrian entrances and things like that. And uh, I dare say in, in, in the morning when, when it comes to uh, runners and things like that, I mean, what's a runner running with? You'll be fortunate if you've got a bottle of water with him or maybe his keys, and that's the sum total of it. So I don't think they look out for them. They look more for the more vulnerable type, like families with children and things like that. And 
relatively safe, I say, because uh, no way is it, uh, entirely safe these days. And uh, I don't think they would have even uh, featured in this lineup if the reviews were bad at all. So, yeah. Yeah, and, uh, yeah that's, a, that's a very valid point indeed. And uh, then we know the Britishers uh, generally make the headlines for the wrong reasons, the Boris, <laughs> yeah, Boris uh, Johnson, and then you get the Harry Potter, I mean, sorry, Harry... Uh, what about uh, this trust that, yeah. was that was there for what, I don't know, maybe a week or two and then vanished? Yeah, all, 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 all the wrong reasons. But here we have uh, a British Brothers uh, hike a Great Wall of China to follow in the father's footstep. What did the father do, Ibrahim Ba? I'll tell you, I will tell you, certainly. Uh, these British brothers uh, named James and Thomas Lindsay, uh, aged 28 and 21, they spent months traversing the Great Wall of China on foot last year. Uh, basically, they set off from Jiayuguan, forgive the Chinese words, uh, pass in northwest China, Gansu province, on July 15th. Uh, and it took the pair of them 131 days of running, jogging, walking along the main west to east length of this great uh, wall of China to reach the Shanghai Guan Pass, where this uh, wall meets the sea on get this November 22nd. So 131 days from July to November, right? And uh, this journey of theirs uh, covered over the Great Wall covered a distance of. 3,263 kilometers to be exact. How I can tell you that, of course, they got the latest uh, Fitbits and this bit and that bit, and GPS locations, tracking apps and whatnot else. That'll tell you exactly how many steps you took, how many miles you walked, etc., etc. And uh, this desire to complete the adventure was uh, inherited from their father, William, who made his own journey along the wall and made headlines in 1987. Right, that was 35 years ago, thereabouts, by spending 78 days walking the wall across northern China. So this wall is so huge and so extensive. Uh, you cannot just walk it from end to end and uh, think you're going to do it in a, a day or a month or something. No, it's, it is quite uh, something else. And uh, for those who have been on the wall, they will attest to the fact that uh, it is really uh, an amazing feat uh, of construction and there must have been a lot of lives lost, lots of time taken, lots of uh, people employed to build it. And uh, incidentally, they hired two support vehicles with uh, with drivers, of course, to uh, carry their supply of food, drink, uh, kit, and other essentials, uh, spending some nights in hotels and other times camping out in the wild, depending on where they ended for the day. And... Uh, just like I said, just as the fathers had, had a father had done 35 year, years ago, uh, the brothers uh, said the wall was more complicated than they had imagined before setting off. And uh, they added that their outdoor exploration of the site gave them a deeper understanding of the structure and the history behind it. Uh, the family itself, the, just for history's sake, is that the father, after his uh, trip, uh, his uh, headline-making trip, he uh, finally married a, a Chinese woman and settled there. And uh, the boys from young were always uh, with him, you know, looking at the wall and uh, cleaning up uh, areas that were full of uh, trash and things like that, basically taking care of the heritage of the place. So I think uh, this is what uh, uh, gave them more impetus to do what they did. So that's the long and short of it, uh, Brother Shafat. So they're BCs, uh, British Chinese. Mm. Uh, yeah. half and half. 
Ah, half an hour. Okay, we'll let them be. Uh, and, and then we look at the world along this uh, river cruise. Uh, Ganga Vilas to unlock potential of river cruise tourism in India, Ibrahim Ba. What's going on there yeah, with uh, Ganga? Uh, you know, I've been on, uh, I've cruised on the Amazon and other uh, Nile and other major rivers. But uh, this is a new one. And uh, it's showing a lot of promise. Huh? I'll be quite honest with you, having uh, visited India many times over. I think uh, this is the first, really, and uh, I dare say it will be very popular, but uh, one has to be well healed, I would think. Uh, I did a lot of research on this thing and read up on it, and uh, basically the launch of the world's longest river cruise, right? And uh, the boat is called the MV, meaning motor, motor vehicle, motor uh, boat, Ganga Villas, right? That started last Friday uh, by, of course, none other than Narendra Modi in Varanasi, and it heralds a new age of river cruise tourism for India. Uh, this is a luxury cruise, uh, Brother Shafat, and it'll cover something like 3,200 kilometers across 27 river systems in five states in India and Bangladesh. So you can call this an international uh, cruise if you'd like. And uh, this uh, Ganga Villas cruise is a first step uh, towards unlocking the huge potential of river tourism in India. Uh, for the uh, details thereof, the 51-day cruise is planned with visits to 50 tourist spots en route, including world heritage sites and national parks, uh, river guards, which are these steps like, you know, in Baranasi that come down to the river's edge, uh, major cities, visiting major cities like Patna in Bihar, uh, Saheb Ganj in, in Jharkhand, Kolkata, in West Bengal and Dhaka in Bangladesh, as well as where they end off in Guwahati in Assam. Now, the uh, vessel itself is 62 meters long, 12 meters wide, and has a relatively shallow draft of 1,4 meters, the draft meaning that uh, that's how much uh, the, the, the boat sits deep in the water. So it's very shallow and it uh, allows perfectly for uh, river cruising. However, uh, one must be mindful of the season and the depth of the uh, rivers that you will be traversing. So I think this was spe specifically designed for that. It has three decks, uh, 18 uh, luxury suites, and uh, has a capacity of just 36 tourists and has a crew of 48 people on board to serve them. It sports all the creature comforts that you can imagine to make your journey luxurious and, mem and memorable, memorable as possible. And uh, the boat uh, follows sustainable principle and is e equipped with pollution-free mechanism, noise control, technologies, etc., etc. Maiden voyage that just went off last Friday had uh, 32 Swiss and four other European tourists, and they were quite looking forward to the first ever trip. Of course, from apart from being able to boast that they they sailed on the maiden voyage itself. Uh, I think it's something that hasn't been uh, done before. So, yeah, it's a novel experience. And the expected date of arrival uh, in uh, uh, Dibrugar, yeah, I think I'm saying that right, is on March the 1st this year. And uh, the itinerary has been especially curated to showcase the rich heritage of India and with, the, with stopovers, uh, you know, at the... Uh, places of historical, cultural, and uh, religious importance. And uh, it visits uh, bio, biodiversity-rich uh, world heritage sites. 
of the Sundarbans. I'm sure you would have heard of that in the Bay of Bengal. And uh, the National Park at uh, Kaziranga, famous for their one-horned rhino. And uh, they plan to run, according to the uh, sales uh, brochures, they plan to run this cruise twice a year between October and March when the weather is favorable and the river water is uh, high, right? And tickets just uh, for those who are interested, tickets aboard will cost a fortune. And they range between 51 and 55,000 US dollars per guest, right? So it's not something for ordinary Johnnies like me and you. And uh, incidentally, it's reported that tickets for two scheduled voyages in 2024 have already been sold out. That is the interest. So yeah, I'd love to be able to have the time and the money to undertake some cruise like this. It'll be a once-off and definitely something to remember by. Making a good point there. You got all the fiat money people. <laughs> hey, you're a lucky Johnny. You're not like uh, Ibrahim Bayana. Astaghfirullah, <laughs> the fiat money and the riba money. Let them enjoy, you know. Yeah, yeah. Why not? yeah why let not? them carry on. I mean, if you look at it, India's uh, tourism, the Taj Mahal, the Mughal things, what they have left uh, behind. And it's very slowly but surely that the, uh, the Hindutva or the BJP and all that, I'm ensuring that... Uh, there is a uh, turn, you know, there is a policy of maybe deflection, not to focus on the the, the, the Muslim history of India, mm. but to take them into the Hindutva, to take them into the Ganges and yeah, into yeah. the Himalayas and all that. I mean, there's something to think about uh, very deeply, Ibrahim Ba. And yeah, then, you know, uh, you think about Kashmir. I mean, yeah. the Dal Lake and what a beautiful, yeah. uh, even Kashmir is being, looks like uh, taken out of the equation because Kashmir is under uh, occupation. There's a deeper meaning to all this. Uh, you know, we may talk, oh, $50,000, 55000 But look at the uh, uh, how uh, the Indians are working, Ibrahim eh, Yeah, I guess they all have their agendas and their angles, uh, Brother Shafat. Uh, we cannot discount that, you know. I mean, any political party, including our own over here, they play to the people that, that vote for them. And, of course, we know how, uh, shall I say, rabid, some of the Hindutva supporters are. So uh, it's not strange that they would try and focus uh, tourism to highlight more of the area of the country that they would like to see have happen and sort of, uh, you know, trivialize or minimize the impact that uh, Muslim uh, rulers and culture has had on the continent, subcontinent rather. I don't know why they call it a subcontinent, but uh, it is what it is, yeah. Yeah, you know the Britishers, yeah, yeah. yeah. and they call the third world. They so mm. they are so called first world. Well, nothing to offer, nothing. No gold, no platinum, no uranium, nothing. No even garden, no big orchards like uh, what Africa has. Well, the so, only thing uh, that they they are good at is stealing other people's resources and and maintaining that they are you know the paragons of virtue. Uh, I mean, look. Uh, I think it's turned a full circle right now, and uh, I don't think they've ever been in such desperate situation like now, where the rank and file of the uh, British people are crying out, uh, you know, for relief. And uh, what does Mr. Sunak do but send more and more armaments to the Nazi regime that's in uh, in in Ukraine? And of course, it's the taxpayer that pays for everything. So, uh, you know, like they say. Uh, you sow what you reap, and uh, when karma comes around, there's going to be no place to hide. Yeah, Mr. Sunak, I don't know if Boris is coming back. Mm. Uh, 
Boris. Bojo, 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 eh, eh, uh, Mojo, Bojo. Well, uh, you look at the planning on taking a solo trip to Brambar this year. The yeah, uh, yeah. You, you're going to unveil the countries with the highest safety rankings. You can forget South Africa. <laughs> okay, uh, look, uh, solo travel is on the up and up. And last year alone, there was an increase of 172%. And that's mainly from our millennials, a young get up and go crowd. And uh, they're no longer sitting and waiting for their companions or partners to get off or whatever. And given the fact that uh, they are mostly digital and other type of nomads, they just get up and go to travel solo and see the places they'd like to see without any appendages or any hindrances from one or the other partner that might be wanting to go elsewhere or think differently from them. Uh, not surprising, of course, uh, the older set, uh, baby boomers, as they call them, uh, also, you know, those that have got uh, funds from retirement annuities and things like that, they are also part of it. That's, uh, and of course, uh, unsurprisingly, women, because of the independence in the workplace and earning well and all that, uh, they also want to travel on. So they are uh, packing bags and heading off to whichever country that suits their fancy. Now, having said that, there are top 10 countries with the highest safety rankings, according to a safety index uh, done in uh, middle of 2022 last year and the top of the pops of course is qatar and then followed by the uae taiwan the isle of man that's in uh, just off uh, uh, british isles there uh, oman another middle eastern country hong kong armenia switzerland japan and finally slovenia now the variance uh, in in position number one where qatar stands in the world is 85.85 compared to uh, the 10th place uh, Slovenia, which is down at 76.83. Now, those are the countries that have the highest safety ratings in the world. So uh, with so many popular destinations, if one looks across the, the ones I mentioned, uh, all one has to do if you're going solo is uh, choose a destination that offers a great travel experience and has a high safety ranking. And I believe that would be the best place to start if anyone is thinking of traveling solo and uh, more especially for women who are going unescorted. That would be important. Uh, absolutely, Bramba. So, uh, yeah, we got it right from you. And Alhamdulillah, easy chat, easy uh, you know, listening uh, when you go on uh, with us, uh, Alhamdulillah, already enjoyed every minute with you, Ibrahim. I can see the time has flown by. Perhaps your parting words uh, this evening. Well, I just say stay out the heat if you can, as far as you can, and try and chill out and relax. Uh, this is about life and death, Brother Shafat, I'm talking about. It is said that life is not measured by the number of breaths we take, but by the moments that take our breath away. And uh, we all die, and the goal isn't to live forever. The goal, rather, is to create something that will. So just think about that in what we do every day and to remember that uh, the key to everything is the nearness to our Creator, as always, and to be able to enjoy His mercies and blessings as they come from Him. You have a lovely, beautiful evening ahead. We'll talk to you soon. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Yes, I'd like to thank Lucarlo uh, for brilliant engineering and keep it locked on to Marcus Sahaba for, uh, for, 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 you know, I'm assigned the right superlative for <laughs> powerful programming. And uh, from the team and I, till we meet you again, we bid you. Assalamu alaikum.
ورحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ